to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, emergency response, crisis management, anything related to resiliency. And I'm going to touch on that word in just a couple of minutes. I'd like to remind everyone I will be at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, May 29th and 30th. Last year's conference was a great success, so uh, hopefully uh, I'll see some of you there and stop by and we can have a chat. If there's any topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free, send me an email. You can do that via the Preparing for the Unexpected webpage on the Voice America site. Send me an email. I answer all emails and we'll see about uh, finding someone to talk about your topic or getting you on the show to talk about your topic. And of course, if you want us to talk about any of your services or products, you know, we are always open to advertising as well. And you can reach out to me again as well for that. Today's show, um, we're going to talk about another book that uh, I got my hands on. And uh, longtime listeners, you'll know that I'm an avid reader and I love getting my hands on different books to learn new skills and ideas and, you know, just different ways of thinking about business continuity and resilience. And the book I'm holding in my hand today is called Organizational Resilience, Managing the Risks of Disruptive Events. And I'm uh, lucky to have the authors on the show today, Dr. James Leffler and Dr. Mark Siegel. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So can you tell me a little bit about yourselves? How about, um, uh, Mark, we start with you. You know, tell us uh, what you do and how you got into all of this. Okay. Um, Well, right now I am president and CEO of Mark Siegel Associates, LLC, and I also am setting up a program at San Diego State University as director of global security and resilience projects in their Homeland Security graduate program. And I, before this, worked as commissioner at ASIS International in their Global Standards Initiative and developed the 13 American national standards dealing with uh, business continuity, with resilience, with security, with providing uh, security operations and respecting human rights, supply chain management, risk management. Um, And this came out of previous work that I had done at San Diego State University in how you apply the systems approach to risk, resilience, and security management. And I've been working with companies and various organizations and their supply chains in how you integrate these ideas of managing risk within the overall concept of your business management strategy. And Jim and I worked together, as you said, on the book. And then since then, I've just recently published another book that looks at how you prevent and manage violence in organizations. So it's looking at workplace violence, active shooters, 
and targeted violence, but it takes a very different spin. And you'll see this is probably the attitude during the presentation of these are very much business management and risk management issues. They're not separate standalone issues. And you have to integrate mm. all these concepts together to have a good, robust business management system. Okay. James, so, how about yourself? All right. <clears throat> um, I'm the uh, CEO and uh, principal consultant for a Fleur-de-Lis consultancy group. Uh, and I'm also a, an adjunct professor uh, in the criminal justice public safety department at St. Leo University. Uh, I have a long history of uh, practitioner involvement in security, crisis management, business continuity, etc. cetera. Uh, Mark and I first met really during, I guess it was 2008, uh, during the development of the first uh, organizational resilience standard through ASIS International. Uh, and we've worked on a number of standards since then. Uh, the book that we co-authored came out of that work that we did on the standard, and, and that was really one of the uh, driving forces uh, behind the book, uh, because in England, uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, a number of European countries, uh, resilience is well-known. In the United States, uh, it is less well-known. And at the time, it was... Uh, at times, it seemed like it was almost a mystery, uh, and the purpose behind the book was to help educate people uh, not only on the standard that we had worked to develop, but uh, on, the, on the fundamentals of uh, resilience. Uh, that was back in 2009 for the, for the publication of the standard. The book was published in 2013. Uh, I'm hoping to do a second edition of the book, uh, taking a completely fresh look at organizational resilience, uh, because a lot of things uh, have changed between 2013 and now, uh, mm-hmm. and that's that's uh, that really should be reflected in a new edition. I'm currently working on a book uh, on change management which is basically a foundation piece for all the disciplines that you discuss uh, through on, the, on this radio program. You know, change management is just everywhere. Every time you do a project, mm-hmm. you really need to understand change management to uh, have the best chance of that project being successful. And a lot of projects fail, uh, either directly or indirectly, because of uh, a lack of uh, change management practices, you know, solid practices. So, um, you know, it's m- my interest in resilience is uh, really grounded in an interest in risk, which is good because risk management is the basis for so many things that we do. And taking a systems perspective, uh, in fact, uh, my doctorate is in organizational development and change, and that was a very specific choice on my part based on everything I learned coming out of 
all the standards development work, uh, experience as a practitioner. Uh, you know, people were asking me, why don't you continue in criminal justice? Because that's what my master's degree is in. Or uh, homeland security, that's a big buzzword now. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I, I said, no, no, it, the, the real foundation on all this stuff is change management and developing the organization and understanding the culture of the organization. The culture is incredibly important. Uh, and understanding uh, the system's perspective, how organizations aren't just some abstract concept. They're, they're, you know, they're made up of people, and those people interact uh, both formally and informally. And um, well, I'm, we'll get to get into more detail on that when we hit this, the systems perspective piece of our discussion. But uh, that's that's really the foundation of you know what what I look to accomplish in my work is helping educate uh, practitioners primarily uh, in appreciating uh, the complexity of the business that we're all in. Oh, great. Well, I'm happy to have you both on the show. Um, And uh, I'd actually like to talk to you. I'll talk to you offline uh, separately, but uh, uh, you both mentioned two subjects I would love to have on the show at another time. So I'll be reaching out to you, both of you, again. (laughs) That's Um, that's fine. (laughs) So let's go straight into organizational resiliency. What is it? Because you mentioned, you even said the phrase, buzzword. And right now, resilience... In the business continuity disaster realm, resilience is kind of the buzzword and everyone seems to be talking about it, but there are different definitions as to what it is. So how do you both uh, you know, define organizational resilience? Mark, let's start with you. All right. I, I mean, I keep having a problem with the word resilience itself and actually uh, – you know, as an interesting historical fact, when we started writing the original standard that came out as the American National Organizational Resilience Standard back in, I think it was 2007, we were actually calling it All Hazards Risk Management. And at the time, there was concern the risk management community would be upset with having a standard on risk management. So the Australians on the committee suggested, why don't we call it organizational resilience? Nobody's using that term. Because Mm. the buzzword at that time was preparedness. So the word came in. So the way we were viewing the term at the time uh, was really that organizational resilience is about how you manage anticipated and unanticipated risks. And then also how you take this proactive view of risk management to build a both absorptive and adaptive capacity for dealing with changes in your business environment, in your communal environment, and essentially the environment that you're operating in and the various risks that you'll come across. So organizational resilience really became just that simple definition of an adaptive capacity in an ever-changing environment. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that view was, and it was a departure actually from a lot of things that the business continuity community was talking about. It was really focusing on a discussion that it was inefficient from a business management perspective to have separate silos for security management, business continuity management, you know, cyber security management, disaster recovery management, and emergency management. And that the idea of building a resilient organization was how within a single system of management do you incorporate all these different perspectives of risk into the day-to-day activities of the organization. So the, it was really trying to actually remove the silos of these separate disciplines and come up with how do you essentially integrate the management of various types of risk into the day-to-day business management approach of the organization, and then that results in an outcome of building a more resilient organization. Resilience itself was never looked at as a, a standalone thing and as a defined outcome. If for each organization, you were, there was no end point. You were always moving that the better you managed risk and the better you anticipated and dealt with both the anticipated and unanticipated risk, the more adaptive you would be, the more agile you would be, and the better run business you would be. And that would make you more resilient. James, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, Mark really covered um, the basics very nicely. Uh, I would add that... um, Alex, as as you had indicated, there are many definitions for organizational resilience. Uh, To the best of my knowledge, uh, resilience was uh, really uh, brought into uh, the academic world in 1973 by a researcher by the name of Hollings, Uh, and he he focused on uh, the ability of a system to bounce back. And that's the concept of uh, the adaptive and absorptive capacity of of an organization. Uh, But, you know, when when you really start looking at uh, definitions that are out there, um, they're not always very helpful. They're they're a little too abstract uh, for practical use. Uh, you know, when you look at adaptive and absorptive capacity of an organization in a complex and changing environment, well, what does that really mean when you get right down to it? It, it really focuses on the people in the organization. And mm-hmm. it's not just the people, but it's the groups within the organization. Because uh, organizations are complex systems. And those systems are made up of various functions with purposes. And when you, when you keep moving down, you know, zeroing in, uh, you, 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 hit, you start hitting various groups. And those groups have formal and informal lines of communication. Well, all of that has to be understood and appreciated and, uh, you know, um, preemptive communications have to be established 
surrounding uh, risk issues within the organization, both internal and external to the organization. And the external part is often forgotten. And external as in community, region, state, you know, federal, uh, look at these hurricanes that have occurred. You can have the best business continuity plans and crisis management plans, and, you, you know, your generators are tested, and all of these uh, preparations are in place. But if your people can't get to the business or if the infrastructure of the community has taken such a hit where you don't have electricity, uh, the roads are out. You know, look at Puerto Rico as a perfect example. The devastation occur- uh, that occurred there, if your business is up and running, that's great. But if your people can't get to your business to do the work, then you're not resilient mm-hmm. at all. And, you know, that's, that touches on that whole silo concept. Because uh, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, and I'm sure we've all been in discussions where different people have said, well, you know, I can do X, Y, and Z, and I can, you know, I can get this thing up and running, no problem at all. And they're only thinking about their little piece of the pie. They're not looking at the big picture, and they're not taking a systems perspective. That, you know, all the groups are interrelated, they're interdependent, uh, and it's very complex. And, you know, uh, 200 years ago, organizations weren't that complex because things were a lot simpler. They, they didn't have the level of technology that we have here. They, they may have been complex in a different way, but now you can't do anything without IT. And just the complexity yep. of how that affects an organization is considerable. But don't overlook the people. The people are what really makes the difference. If your people aren't resilient, your organization won't be resilient. And those people, uh, they learn to be resilient through training, practice, doing things. They have to understand not only what their job is, but, you know, why they need to do certain things, how to do things. Uh, They have to understand the end goal, not just their little piece of the pie. So That's true. That's true. I, I've said it know, many times, even on the show here. But other guests have said, you know, people are the key. People are the key. So I'm really glad to hear that here. Mark had developed, um, I'm not exactly sure what name we're giving it. I, I refer to it as the umbrella concept. Um, he, had, he had designed this, th- imagine an umbrella. And on top of the umbrella, you have the words organizational resilience. And underneath the umbrella, you have all the, the various disciplines that fall into the protective world. Corporate security, data security, business continuity, crisis management, risk management, uh, and, and emergency management, and just keep going. Just, you, know, you, could, you could load that up with all the disciplines that, that you have. Um, the particular discipline doesn't matter. It's, it's important, but don't focus on that. Focus on a collaborative, collegial approach to working together and using the resources that the organization has 
in an effective fashion. Uh, for instance, mm-hmm. when you have to well, do a business... Actually, in- I'm gonna, uh, we're going to have to take a break right now, um, okay. but we'll come right back to that. Uh, okay. we're, we're talking with uh, James Leffler and Mark Siegel, uh, authors of Organizational Resilience, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We all know that today our country is in many ways run by vested interests, which have accumulated large amounts of power for themselves and at our expense. But this can be changed by recognizing the problems and then by adopting libertarian solutions to address them. Tune into All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. Judge Gray and his guests will discuss the problem areas of today and then present solutions that result in a better world for ourselves and our children. Tune in Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you understand your feline friends as well as you'd like? Why do they behave the way they do? If behavior issues get out of hand, how do you fix things? Get the answers and more when you listen to Cat Talk Radio with host Molly DeVos. We'll give you the straight facts, offer some tried and tested ideas, and alert you as to what's being done in this country and worldwide to save cats and shelter challenges. Cat Talk Radio on Voice America Variety. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we're talking about organizational resilience with authors Dr. James Leffler and Dr. Mark Siegel. 
Um, before we went away on break there, we were talking about the different silos in organizations and people. Um, and I think, James, you were uh, in the middle of saying a couple of things there before I had to cut you off. What, do you want to finish your thought on that? Sure. Very quickly, uh, you, you, the organization has limited resources. And you want to make sure that whatever resources you have available, you use wisely. Uh, that's just from a practical cost-benefit analysis perspective. But, uh, you know, if, if you look at doing a business impact analysis, a critical piece for uh, disaster recovery, business continuity, uh, really any protective measure that you're going to implement, you, you want to understand the organization. Uh, and instead of doing multiple BIAs for the organization – do one or, you know, do a, uh, a consortium approach where everyone, all the different disciplines of the organization, all the different silos benefit from that one uh, iteration of a business impact analysis because you normally want to do them at least annually. Uh, so, you know, instead of trying to uh, m- replicate functions and practices uh, irrespective of uh, the, the the logic of doing them multiple times, you know, don't have your uh, each uh, uh, f- a functional area of the organization trying to to accomplish this. Have them team up, work together, and uh, you know gain the benefit of doing the function, and that's a very simplistic way of approaching it. It's much more mm-hmm. complex. You need to communicate and break down those barriers uh, yes. so that you, you, you really develop uh, a, a collaborative effort in the organization. That's critically important mm-hmm. for this. Yes, so, I, I, I agree with I, you there. So some of this that we're talking about gets, to get, gets back to what we mentioned earlier, that Part of the key to starting and building your resilient organization is to recognize that all of these different disciplines and so much of what's involved in business management and in running a business and setting up a system of management or what some people like to call the management system of a business is is first of all recognizing that all of these things are about managing different types of risk that the organization is going to face in its path of achieving its objectives. So really the, the focus to starting to building the, your, your resilient organization is to sit down and have the conversation first of what are the objectives and to rethink your model of risk and stop defining risk as bad events and look at risk more from the perspective of you have certain objectives. You have your strategic objectives, your tactical objectives, your operational objectives, which then you know, are your short, mm-hmm. medium, and long-term objectives. And what are the uncertainties that you're going to face in achieving those objectives? And what are the different stakeholders that are going to be involved and the people that can influence and be impacted by the risks that you're going to face. And then getting back to what Jim was saying of how you start incorporating this human element into the the process is to 
start building this culture in the organization that there are certain objectives we want to do, there are certain um, uncertainties in achieving those objectives. On that path to those objectives, we can have positive outcomes or negative outcomes. Obviously, you want to encourage the positive outcomes, which means pursuing opportunities, but getting everybody to understand along that path that everybody in this equation is a risk maker and a risk taker, and therefore everybody is a risk manager. So a key thought process for everybody, no matter what they're doing from if they're working on the delivery docs or they're a janitor or they're a process engineer or they're a business manager, is for the functions that they're participating in and the activities that they're doing, do they understand the uncertainties and the risks that are going to impact what they're doing or that they could impact. And when you start building that understanding and appreciation of what the organization is about and what's of value to the organization, you start building this thought process where everything you're doing is just naturally thinking about how can I do it better how can I actually, you know, be more resilient? If something happens, how do I, I notice warning signs for something happening? How do I respond mm-hmm. quickly? How do I gain control if something's happening? And you can start building the process. But it really is this inclusive philosophy where everybody is part of this thought process. And it's not just you have, you know, a security manager or business continuity manager sitting in their office writing plans. It's everybody's part of the planning process, and the, by being part of the planning, you learn and get an appreciation for how these different elements interact with each other. So, Mark, you talk about, well, both, <clears throat> sorry, both yourself and James, talk about risk counsel. Is that what you're alluding to? Well, part of this is setting up a risk council, or some people call them risk committees, where you have people who represent the different functions and activities in the organization who sit together and discuss what are the uncertainties in achieving their objectives in the different activities and functions they're participating in. And it becomes a natural part of the conversation. But you need to set up this council, and again, you're pulling people who were part of, you know, the management team, you're pulling people from security, safety, finance, human resources, you know, maintenance, administration, from all these different parts of the organization that make it function, and they're bringing, first of all, the perspective of what they're doing, because at the end of the day, You're in business or you're running an organization because you're creating value. You're you're producing products or services. So Mm -hmm. these are the people who understand what's involved in that process, but they also understand what are the things that can happen that can either make it easier for them and make it more efficient for them to produce products and services or what can things that can mess things up and cause problems, and then you can have the discussion of how you can avoid problems, and if there are a problem, if there is a problem, how do you identify it in time and address it in time? 
So these risk committees are really important in terms of, you know, first of all, having this flow of information from everybody within the organization to share the, the potential risks that they also have. But it also then also becomes the mechanism to discuss out from different perspectives how you, you address an issue. I mean, I've worked with companies where you have the security manager or the continuity manager come up with brilliant ideas in terms of security or continuity, but in terms of producing the product or providing the service, it's going to cripple your ability to do that effectively. So you have to have this group of people with different perspectives. So in the end, you can figure out what's the optimal approach in order to create as much value for the organization as well as protect that ability to create that value. So how do you create a council like that or a committee and who should chair that? Because how you both brought up the various uh, um, groups, you know, quality control, audit, BCP, DR, InfoSec, privacy, health and safety, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone's going to want to be, you know, the one in charge. So how do you set one up and who really leads something like that? Uh, well, my well, experience, shot, you know, has, has been there's no one person who's the ideal. When, when I sat and uh, started with groups, I usually invite that whole, you know, group of people in and give a, we start a discussion about what we're trying to achieve. During the course of that discussion, usually what comes up is you have a few people who, like I, I usually label them systems thinker. There's people who understand the various pieces of the puzzle, but more important, they understand how the pieces fit together. So they become the people who are best to be the leaders of the organization. And you also have to look for somebody who has the respect and the authority and has a connection with people in upper management to also play the leadership role. So, you know, I'm doing this one time in a hospital, it turned out that the quality manager was actually the best person to lead this, this risk council because it, from the work that they had done through quality management in the organization, they were intimately involved and understood the various processes, but also because they had experience putting together a quality management system within the organization, they understood the various concept of how you put the different pieces of the puzzle together, and mm. they then became the, the leader of the group. But, you know, it's like putting uh-huh. together any group. It depends on the individuals and the egos that are involved. But <laughs> yeah, I guess you, so. You have to get people <laughs> to understand that their little piece is not the only piece and it's not the key piece, that it really is, this is a team effort. Right. James, uh, two minutes till break. James, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, yes, very quickly. Uh, I like to think of it as a culture of risk management. And within that culture of risk management, everybody takes a personal sense of responsibility for 
uh, addressing the various risks within the organization. And as Mark had indicated, uh, the, the leadership of the risk council is really going to depend on the organization, depend on the, uh, the players that are involved, that, are, that come to the table. Uh, you want inclusiveness. You don't want to exclude anybody. Uh, and you really have to establish uh, some ground rules up front. Uh, first, it's okay to fail. You know, don't, mm-hmm. don't hold back. If you have an idea, throw it out there. It may or may not work. It may or may not be appropriate. But failing is perfectly acceptable because what, what you're trying to do, especially with this concept of a council, is to build trust between the, the stakeholders. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the senior leader champion of the group, uh, that's somebody, you know, hopefully in executive management, they have uh, the gravitas, the power, the influence to make to give this some legs, so it can so it can move. But you you need somebody from a practical sense to coordinate things. It may turn out that you don't have one identified leader. You simply have somebody taking notes, and the group as a whole works together. That's not going to happen overnight. That's that's more of an end result than an upfront result. Right. Uh, the the senior person may have to have more of an uh, involvement upfront to set the tone and and get people working together. And I know I'm out of time. <laughs> Actually, I think we had just a couple of seconds, so you you got in there. That's perfect. Um, we're going to take our second break. We're talking about organizational resilience, and we're talking with James Leffler and Mark Siegel. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We all know that today our country is in many ways run by vested interests, which have accumulated large amounts of power for themselves and at our expense. But this can be changed by recognizing the problems and then by adopting libertarian solutions to address them. Tune into All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. Judge Gray and his guests will discuss the problem areas of today and then present solutions that result in a better world for ourselves and our children. Tune in Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, 
This show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you understand your feline friends as well as you'd like? Why do they behave the way they do? If behavior issues get out of hand, how do you fix things? Get the answers and more when you listen to Cat Talk Radio with host Molly DeVos. We'll give you the straight facts, offer some tried and tested ideas, and alert you as to what's being done in this country and worldwide to save cats and shelter challenges. Cat Talk Radio on Voice America Variety. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Uh, we're talking with Dr. James Leffler and Dr. Mark Siegel and their book, Organizational Resilience. Gentlemen, I'm kind of wondering, you know, if I want to get this started at my organization, what kind of tools are out there for me, you know, and, and support? And I know you you both talked about working on standards and things like that, you know. And, and James, you even um, mentioned uh, you know an executive sponsor. How do I bring all that together to maybe get this ball rolling? You know, get the buy and get the sell. You know, wh- how do I get that moving forward? Well, um, you know, if you if you're starting off with uh, let's say this ANSI standard, which has been replaced uh, with a newer version. Uh, standards are updated every five years, I believe. And the original standard that we had just, uh, worked on, uh, published in 2009, uh, that was the first one through ASIS that was approved uh, by ANSI. Uh, we did an updated one, I think, in 2015 or maybe 2017, the, the years kind of blend together. It was uh, two years ago, and it was two changed to uh, security and resilience management. Right. OR, uh, ANSI ASIS ORM1. Yes. The, that's more of a comprehensive uh, approach to this, trying to uh, bring things together, bring uh, business continuity into it, supply chain management, mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're starting off with a standard, that's great. It'll give you a number of components that you need to look at. But, you know, when you really start looking at trying to do any of this stuff, you don't have to spend a lot of money. What you need to do is understand the organization. And that is the first critical piece of the, of the whole puzzle. Understand how the systems within your organization function. Uh, And Mark may have some practical examples. I know he does a lot of this work uh, with organizations. If he has anything he can share uh, that to to really illustrate this 
this point. Mark? Well, what I usually do when I start with organizations is I actually don't like starting with the standards. Um, Mm. I like to try to reinforce them. It's not about standards. Standards are not recipes, or if you do want to look at them a recipe, they're like an Italian recipe. They give you a list of ingredients, and you have to put them together to fit your taste. (laughs) So it's true. uh, They... You, you first have to understand this different concept of risk management that it's based on uncertainty and achieving objectives. So to, to help understand that concept, if you want two standards to go to, I would say the ISO 31000 standard for risk management or the COSO standard for risk management will help explain that perspective from a, a helicopter view. And then what I start really emphasizing, the key tool is that you're integrating risk management into everything you're doing. It's just good business management practice. So what I, you know, the the little secret sauce that I give companies that we start with that really costs nothing, except it does take some time, is we go through the standard operating procedures that the company has for every activity from, you know, serving food in the cafeteria to building, you know, a component for the product that they're, they're, they're making. And in the regular standard operating procedure, we add the, the, the new uh, components of for that particular procedure and that particular activity, first of all, who are the internal stakeholders in the organization? And this is just part of the procedure. You define these. Who are the internal stakeholders in the organization who can either impact that process or be impacted by the process? So now you're identifying stakeholders that can introduce risk or be impacted by risk. And then we also add to the procedure another category where we're looking at what are the different types of risk, either generated internally or based on the external context that the organization is working in, that can impact that procedure or that procedure can, you know, how could it impact the community or do Mm -hmm. other things. So, You know, you can be looking at environmental issues. You could be looking at human rights issues. You can be looking at reputational issues. But you're breaking it down for each one of those. And we go through the whole standard operating procedure manual that they have, and we introduce those categories into each procedure. And then that then gets updated in the training when people are trained in the procedure. And then it's included in the discussions of the procedure, if you're having a business meeting where you're discussing how the process is going or you're meeting your your goals, during those discussions, you start integrating in how, you know, have you identified any new risks? Are there other concerns? And you just start introducing that way of thinking into the process. And that seems to be a really effective and almost cost-free other than the investment of time approach to getting started in the, this process. And 
what I've seen with different groups that I've worked with is you end up with people finally understanding why they're doing things and Mm -hmm. why things could happen. And it it, it, then generates them stepping forward to either innocently ask questions of, you know, this doesn't make sense, could this lead to something going wrong? Or asking questions of, well, if we did this differently, could we improve the process? So it's actually, in a way, you're changing the thought process in the organization that people are learning that answering, uh, having the answers for everything isn't quite as important as understanding why something is happening and then asking good questions and being mm-hmm. able to under, get a better understanding of processes and activities and how to make them robust and how to make them resilient by having people understand that you're supposed to ask questions. You're always supposed to be learning and thinking. And then that leads to the, a change in culture in the organization. But it's a, you know, it's a process. It does, it's not something that happens overnight. But once right. that mindset clicks in, it's amazing to see how the organization changes and people feel that they're part of, you know, a family, part of a, you know, the whole, uh, you know, reaching the goals of the organization and feel ownership in what they're doing and actually start providing you with the intelligence that you need and information you need to become more resilient, avoid problems, and be able to handle problems better as they come up. Well, it reminds me a lot of, um, I have an extensive extensive background in project and program management as well. And James, I think you, I think you were the one who mentioned it with project management, you know, you identify the risks and all your mitigation factors, anything that to stop that risk from ever occurring. And if the whole team works together, you hopefully knock on wood, don't encounter any issues. You know, you become stronger, you're identifying where all your your weak points are and you, you make those stronger and move forward. I think I think you mentioned something along that lines earlier uh, with regards to change management. Yes. And you know, if if the risk that you've identified um, if you mitigate or treat the risk in, in such a way that you've uh, reduced the consequences that, that may occur even if something similar to it does happen that is completely unforeseen, you have a much better chance of, of a positive reaction to that risk uh, when it happens. You know, people aren't taken by surprise. It's, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we've seen this happen, uh, or, yeah, we've prepared for this. It's a little bit different, but we know what we need to do. And people can react to it because they're, they're prepared uh, on a fundamental holistic perspective, if you will, throughout the organization. Everyone's involved. Everyone is uh, asking questions. They, you know, it's basically a systems perspective that right. everyone's involved. Uh, all the groups are acknowledging uh, the relationships with other groups both internal and external, and the external piece really is um, the, the, the piece that, that is often overlooked. You know, if something happens to the highways or, you know, look at uh, with the government shutdown, 
people are seeing how a system can break down, that all these little things that they don't necessarily think about, oh, they're all now big problems. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's like a spider web that just keeps going out. Um, it, it's, it's very – systems are just a fundamental uh, piece of, of our lives. Right. We're, we're just in, inundated with a systems perspective. Well, we, we're almost at the end of our show. We've only got three minutes left. So I'd like to give each of you one minute to kind of have a closing commentary on organizational resilience. Uh, Mark, why don't we start with you? Okay, just a, a, as brief as possible, it, I would say think about why you're doing things and think about getting a situation of awareness for your people in your organization that they look at this, that this is just always running in the background. You know, a way of looking at it is to think about have your people think of resilience as the operating system on on your computer. It's essential. It's always running in the background, but that gives you the ability to focus on the activities that are being productive of creating something. So look at it as the the transparent thing that's running in the background with everything you do. Okay. James, how about your closing comments? I think Mark pretty well summed it up. Uh, It's it's not overly uh, difficult to appreciate the value of you know, people working together, uh, putting their egos aside. That's not the easy part, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really has powerful uh, benefits to the organization, to the people. Um, when managers and leaders work together uh, for the common good of the organization, uh, whatever that organization is. And it's all about collaboration and seeing uh, the big picture and and what they can they can accomplish if they work together. It's all about risk. Well, great. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for being on the show. Um, I enjoyed this topic. Uh, being a DR BCP or business continuity management uh, professional for twenty one years. Organizational resilience is really starting to kick up steam on uh, in this industry, so I'm really glad to have you on the, the show to talk about this. And I've got a feeling I'm going to be talking to both of you in the future um, with your other books. So thank you very much for joining us and uh, sharing your insights on organizational resiliency. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Okay, thank you for having us. Oh, I'm happy, uh, of course. And I'd like to remind everyone, I'll be at the Continuity Resilience Today conference, May 29th and 30th in Toronto. If you got any topics, please let me know. And in the meantime, uh, thanks again, James and Mark, and to everybody out there. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.